Welcome, everybody, to the Making Awesome Podcast, Season 3, Episode 28, where we've got Dan from B-Jetting. Dan, talk to us about really what you do. But before we get too deep into it, I need sure. the Backstreet Boys out of you. The who you are, <laughs> where you're from, the what you did, as long as you're okay. <laughs> Sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, hey Grant, first of all, let me just say thanks for inviting me on today. Uh, as you know, you'll find me in the chat of uh, Making Awesome Monday, occasionally Sunday, whenever I'm, uh, I get the notification and I'm in a position to take a listen. I always enjoy the show, so thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, so I am Dan Bremer. I am former uh, detective fellow for the X1 company. I started there in May of 2001. I uh, built their first uh, piezo-based uh, binder jetting printer known as the R2. It's a machine we finished up sometime in 2004 the time frame. And there are at least over a dozen of those machines still running all across the country today. Uh, or at least there were a couple of years ago when I left X1, there were a bunch. So, and now uh, you have your own startup, right? And now I have my own startup. So after spending 20 years of, uh, learning about all the things that I could possibly learn about binder jetting, um, yeah, I started my own little consulting firm, Eugenie LLC, and uh, with that, I just, you know, I did what, what what you might imagine people in my position do. You take on a couple of little projects here and there, get paid and send money to me, and, um, you know, just kind of help people really solve their problems, which is really the important part is that I do get, I mean, it's a lot of money to solve problems, and um but, you know, one of the things that kept coming up over and over in my discussions with customers and potential clients and stuff was this idea that they, they felt that they needed something, you know, in-house that could help answer some of their questions. You know, when people come to me for binder jetting, it's typically not because they've got a standard material or a standard problem to solve, you know, because there are some great solutions out there from X1 and desktop metal and GE and HP and all these guys that make these beautiful uh, true production uh, by energetic here, you know. Uh, that's some, that, that's just some stuff. And, we, and I'm sure we'll talk about what, what those production systems are like later. But in, in the discussion that I was having, it's all these people who have something unique or something different or they're maybe wanting to make their own binder or to study a particular type of power. And we've got some crazy idea that, you know, nobody in their right mind would be willing to work with them on. Uh, because it's just so far out there and and over and over we just kept coming they needed something they needed something small scale they could you know do some tests on and they wanted to engage me and of course i didn't really have a big binder jet machine at the time i was going to see you know doing things like writing articles and doing uses and helping people with the machine solve their own problems but i didn't have a piece of gear so uh, my partner James and I just really kind of, you know, like I had this idea for a real small tabletop type of platform, you know, even just for our business. And, um, you know, the more we kept refining our ideas and talking and, and, and thinking about what this machine might be able to do, we decided why not just go ahead and instead of, you know, making one for us, why not start talking about it to other people? That have, have been reaching out to us and saying, you know what, if we were to come up with some kind of a small test platform that was affordable and modular and could do all these different things that you want to do your research or testing or education, whatever it is, on this really small scale, 
you know, is this something that you'd be interested in? We got like lots of, you know, encouraging statements, let's say. And so we decided to go ahead and pull the trigger and, and start building a couple and see see what, you know, could actually happen here. We wound up um, selling our first one to a little startup out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee called uh, Vigiform 3D. There, uh, and in, yeah, can we talk uh, about binder jetting for a bit? Also, can you, do you mind raising your voice a little bit? Yeah, the audio oh, sure. getting a little warbly in there for okay, the chat, sure. closer sure. to the mic for me. But because sure. binder jetting is like, uh, I guess let let me go through my understanding of it. I'm sure. probably wrong, but this is my understanding because I I've worked with binder jetting, but not okay, yeah. your binder jetting. Right. The binder jetting that I've worked with is CJP, the color jet printing from Pretty Systems sure. that uh -huh. uses actual inkjet printer heads from an sure. hp printer right. you're not doing that though traditionally binder jetting to me is more similar to polyjet from stratasys where it's a bunch of nozzles that are you know pushing out that binder is that similar to what you're doing sure. here but, but but let's really think about that adam what you're actually or i'm sorry not adam uh, who's Adam? Now I got to know who Adam is. <laughs> Adam Penna, right? Like oh. he's last, Adam and Alex were the last people to uh, to uh, interview me. I apologize. Anyway, Grant. So, uh, okay. Where was I? Okay. Uh, there's no difference. So in that case, in those old uh, 3D systems machine, they used Binder. Essentially what they used was like a, lightly sugar-filled water, right? Like, But what, what you're really talking about is the difference between jetting technologies, whether you're going to use a thermal inkjet printhead or in the case of X1 and some of the other bigger uh, metal guys, whether you're going to use a piezo-based inkjet printhead. So think like an Epson Echo Tank right. versus an HP desk jet, right? So... So really what you're talking about is the binder jetting applica applicator, the tool, let's say, right? Like the you're talking thing about that matters. That. Yeah. Right, right, right. Instead of the cutting tool, you've got the adding tool, right? Because so, we, we've got the yeah. whole laying down powder done pretty well. I mean, the recoder, there's some magic you can do with recoders, but really it comes down to the actual binder that matters more, right? It sure does. And as you know, working on those Z-Corp machines, or I mean, I'm sorry, 3D systems machines. I should call it Z-Corp. We yeah, all know right, what it is. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the, the um, oh man, dude, I keep losing my train of thought. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not as different as it seems. I mean, does the binder matter? Yeah, of course it does. But it only matters insofar as how you're going to configure the rest of the machine, right? Like, I, we, we could, back in the day, so back in the day, I'll give you a history story here. So, like, back in the day, 2002, we bought a Z-Core machine thinking, oh, maybe we could figure out a way to put some metals on a Z-Core machine. And, you know, like, the business guys were all exploring how compatible is blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, it turned out, like, it was just absolutely untouched. Like they're the binders that were compatible with thermal inkjets at the time were not nearly the kind of binders yeah, that you needed thin. for metal. Yeah, super thin. It's like ninety eight percent water or something. And you know, and typical... yet it costs twenty eight cents a milliliter. Huh. Uh, well, you know, uh, you bring up an interesting point, Grant, and and I guess I'll say that that's like a legacy, right? Like that if you think about printers you know like your desktop printer it is entirely a razor blade model 
right? Like they practically, that 99 or $199 you pay at Best Buy for your printer, that's basically the cost of the machine. And they're expecting you to buy a whole bunch of ink cartridges that are really yeah. high markup. And that's how they're going to make the money in the long run. And even if you look back to those old, old, old days, even, you know, like, so like before we were X1, we were part of Extrude Home. You look back in those old days and that was the plan, right? It was like, we'll sell the machine. We were, we were thinking like printer makers rather than like machine tool manufacturers. Right. Okay. And so we were expecting to be able to do the similar kinds of things. We'll sell this machine real cheap and we'll make lots of money selling powder and binder. But little did we know the world of manufacturing is not exactly going to put up with the same things that the world of at-home printing does. And um, so you sort of saw an evolution in some companies as, as, as the, the, and particularly in X1, where they kind of had to depart from that from that thinking, because it's not like you buy your Mazak CNC mm -hmm. and then you have to buy Mazak aluminum and Mazak cutter heads and Mazak motors and Mazak ways and bearings, you know, like that isn't how that industry works. So to think that you're going to force your super highly priced materials onto this market where they're making millions of things at a time, you're just kind of fooling yourself. Right. Yeah. It but now the market's kind of adjusted to this. You get a machine, you're locked into that ecosystem because, and this is something that, that I believe people that do consumer grade 3D printing don't understand. That once you get above about five grand for your machine, walled gardens are seen more as a benefit sometimes than a detractor where below five grand, we want open source. We, you know, it, nothing that we have to, you know, pay to play. We want to be able to buy from whomever we want. Right. But when you start looking at things like a binder jetting machine, while we did crack the code for the Z Corp and we produce our own inks, don't tell 3D systems. Not that they care because I, you know, maintain my own damn printers. But, oh. you know, we're able to do it for less than a nickel per milliliter. Yeah. And that is only because we're using very, very, very high quality dye in the actual ink itself. But when you look at binder jetting for metals, that formula is really the key and why we would choose to go with a walled garden. So it's not really seen as a bad thing in, in the upper end world. It's just the cost of doing business right that is true to an extent and uh you know what i can say is that in some ways it comes down to how efficiently your your binder jetting machine is able to utilize binder right what i'll say is that in in, in some of my earliest platforms there was no recycling binder and probably 80 percent of your binder wound up in the waste bucket and only 20% of your binder actually got utilized in the powder bed, you know, because essentially it's glue, right? And so it's hardening and setting all the time. And so you're having to purge a lot out, yep. especially if you don't have a particularly good formula, which I did not at the time. Uh, well, but that was a completely different animal, right? Like, I know. You know I, it's just, it's so, the one tech that I have experience with, so I'm going to keep yeah. giving them shit. But, yeah. uh, you know, it, 
it, it is because they're alcohol based. So the longer that ink sits, the more concentrated the colorant gets, which changes your color. That that's true too on, on those kinds of inks and knowing the right kinds of alcohols to use and, and yep. everything it takes time but with um, with the glue yeah. system purging is an issue right and so it is on the consumer side right we don't really have glues it's you have your main model material if you're running a tool changer or an idex or something like that you might have a support material that is looked at as waste mm -hmm. In powder printing, most of the time, at least in binder jetting, there are no supports, right? The yeah. surrounding powder provides you with your support material. But there is still a waste material as, like you said, the printhead needs to purge. You are doing binder recapturing, so it can be recycled. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it can all be, I mean, so you get it at least to where you can reuse it. Like I say, early machine designs were very simple. You know, you had a gutter. You squeezed a whole bunch of binder out and you pumped whatever went into the gutter into a waste bottle. Yep. But now, you know, now that we know more about binders, now that we know more about binder reuse on a platform, um, and I mean the industry as a whole, right? Not just me, but like the industry as a whole understands its binders a lot better. Um, now we can make these systems where you can recover some of that binder that you're either spinning before or just purging before, mix it in with some fresh binder, keep control of a couple of variables that are very key, and, and you can recycle a whole lot of it, right? Like you, you're never going to be able to capture all of it, right? Like right. You are, at the end of the day, you're squeezing some hot and you're jetting it around and whatever. So you're going to have a little bit of waste, but but the systems themselves have gotten to be a lot more efficient. And, and as they get more efficient, you can charge more for your binder, but you also sell less of it. So you have to charge more for your binder. So it's a circle or a cycle or whatever, a pendulum maybe. Yeah, a uh, pendulum is probably the, the right way to look at it. But something that I, I, I want to bring up here, because sure. so far no one has figured it out. And I'm surprised because I, I was expecting some sort of like a, you're doing what? Yeah, this is metal printing and you're gluing pieces of metal powder together. And then you do either a sintering process or an infiltrating process Correct. with a carrier metal. With X1, it was normally like a brass material, right? Bronze. bronze. It was a 9010 bronze. 9010 yeah. bronze. Yeah. Which is like a typically found infiltrant in the powder metallurgy industry. The biggest difference is, you know, like infiltration is the dirty secret of press and center. Yeah. That um, the way press and thinning works, they press under enormous pressures in a mold and all that, but they only get to about 95% dense and they don't move that number very much just through their centering process. But, you know, in, in a whole lot of mem lines, the last step is that there's a little like copper wick that hits the part on its way out the furnace to just wick up a little bit of bronze or a little bit of like a, a tin bronze with some uh, with some other metals in it that help with the infiltration and uh, that's common and so it was kind of based on established technology the biggest difference was that when you're done in an infiltration process a metal infiltration process when you're done with the uh, metal print it's really only about 60 percent uh base powder at that point you know like when you center the metal there's very little shrinkage or very little actual bond to bond between the particles themselves and it's really you know the thing is the way to think of it uh i think grant is like as a uh, as a cemented material 
you know right. it's almost like a cemented material and that's how we looked at it as well so similarly the color jet process requires an infiltrant mm -hmm. in our case it's super glue so we would go through about i don't know a few gallons of super glue a week yep. um yep. In bead jetting, what are you guys using as the infiltrant? So, you know, uh, I'm focused in, in the metals market, Grant. I am more focused in uh, single alloy materials. So, okay. you know, I'm focused on the same thing. It's like in terms of my educator, you know, so like, uh, well, I guess we can talk more about the, the, the difference from the products. But the educator is meant to be a basic, simple you can print the standard 316s, the 17 fours, and the bonus material is going to be an Inconel 718. Ooh, um, Inconel and, 718. And, we'll get to that in a bit. That's, yeah, a, that's so, a fun metal to talk about. Oh, sure. And um, so those will be those will be the materials that you'll do on our system. And it's not because like we're masters of materials development. The reason we're choosing these ones is because they are so well understood. And there's a lot of resources that we can go to to find solutions even to our problems, right? Like people have been centering 316 stainless for a long, long time. And there's a whole network of furnaces out there and metallurgists that know what they're doing. There's uh, powdered metallurgy companies that do this kind of thing every day in the NIM industry. So these are just understood uh, understood materials. And and and, and here at BJetting currently, we don't really have a materials development division right like it, that's it's me and james right now and so in terms of our actual ability to develop customers materials we really kind of don't focus on it that's what we that's what we build platforms for us to enable people to pursue the materials that they think are significant okay we've got a question in the chat uh, sure. from build on sound also we got a bunch of people here hanging out and i guess we should do the housekeeping things you know like the stream <laughs> leave you know hang out with us in the chat uh make sure you're subscribed if you're not patreon and all that kind of thing linked in the description if you want to kick us a couple of bucks as well as super chats available but build on sound is asking i got a question is it just one specific metal that you use or is it a mix of different metals to give the best results or is this a no-go due to strength or chemical reasons so that's a fair question. I mean, so in a straight up typical binder jetting machine, like what I'm talking about, single alloy metal binder jet center based technology, right? That is a single type of metal. Now, obviously, 316 stainless steel is itself an alloy, right? So there's right. a whole lot of iron, but it's got all those other additives in it. So uh, from a technology standpoint, what I can say is that, you know, the most difficult or uncenterable metals are pure metals. So uh, like pure copper, pure iron, uh, anything where you want to have a pure chemistry, that's almost impossible to binder jet because binder jetting requires centering. And, and, and the big difference between centering and melting is that like with sintering, what happens is that the particles are so small and it only works with super fine particles. That's why we always talk about MIM sized powders. We're going like, to get to that in a bit yeah, too. Yeah, 22 microns and smaller. But what happens is that like the surface area containing the metal is no longer able to contain the metal, but it doesn't melt. What it tries to do is reorient its amount of surface area with respect to all of the other particles around it. And it's trying to minimize its surface area. So it's kind of spheres, wiggling at high temperature. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 at those necks where the two particles are touching each other in intimate contact, 
they that that surface area starts to spread between them so they don't actually melt they just like grow into melt they don't melt they grow into each other almost and and so that's why you also see grants so much shrinkage like in yep. in in the infiltrated process you only see maybe a half a percent of shrinkage you just leave the voids because you're going to backfill it with bronze but in the case of high density metals now you're starting at this you know 55 60 percent dense you go through this consolidation to surface area now you've lost about 20 percent in your x y and z right so it's significant that's a fair bit of loss that is it's why i don't mess around with the sintering style or you know yes with sintering style metals because yes you can do it you can do it on fdm printers right um that's right that's right the virtual foundry makes filament basf makes virtual foundry has a whole solution but and I, the they've just been talking about microwaves and all that stuff. The shrinkage is non-controllable, right? It, it's it, it, you can predict it, but there are so many additional factors like where it's located in the damn furnace that will. Yeah, you know, hey, oh, it gets complicated. That is correct. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that are complicated about yeah. hydrojetting it and, and and putting it into production. But what I'll say is this, Grant. So. What I have found with binder jetting is that it is remarkably repeatable. Yes. And whenever I design a machine and whenever I would design a printing process or a lay down strategy or a power handling system or anything, all I, I strive for, I don't strive for perfection. I don't strive for perfect accuracy. I don't strive for anything but making it do the exact same thing every time I tell it to do that thing. You know, it's all about making it repeatable. And um, so that's kind of the only, that's like, that's my number one, two, and three measure of how good any particular subsystem is on the machine is if I tell it to spread this much powder, if I tell it, I want, you know, a hundred micrograms of powder, do I get a hundred micrograms of powder every single time I tell it I want a hundred micrograms, right? So it's, uh, it's really like that. And I found that to be true on all those things you're talking about like that yes you might have to like do some crazy run on your big production machine where you've got to print like all 29 parts in a very particular part on the bed and then make sure those 29 parts all wind up in the same hot zone in the furnace that you're using but if you do that like if you really uh set up and tune your process you can come to a place where everything that happens around you is very repeatable and at least you can count on it to do the same thing it might not be the right thing might not be exactly what you want but you can get it to give you the same thing every time so uh, if you start from there then you know you can find those production use cases you just have to be a little bit more patient and hey you know i always told myself the same thing even starting back from 2001 that you know today is the worst this technology will ever be uh and no matter what else tomorrow it's going to be a little bit better and a little bit better the day after that and you know uh that's what it is it's just right. a slowly moving and, and and the thing of it is grant i'll say too that's another reason why um you know on my little platform here the educator it's just, it's a small 60 millimeter cubic box right it's tiny it's designed to be tiny and it's designed to keep my customers out of trouble Right. I always say, if you can't do it at 60 millimeters, making it bigger isn't going to make it easier. Right. 60 so, is tiny, though. And we had a comment early on that 
I'm interested to learn about all the things I can't afford. And <laughs> an educator is not well, okay. It is. Well, it's a little unaffordable. Well, it but, is affordable I mean... when you compare it to other things in the market. It is not yeah. affordable when you compare it to a two hundred dollar Ender three Ender that three, can do right. you know eight inches cubed, right? right. When you're when you're dealing right. with a bit over two, but for the vast majority of people that are doing metal binder that are especially those that are in the research area or mm -hmm. education probably as the name states are not really going over that 60 millimeter cube is that what you found during your time I, you know the thing of it is if if you look at um what would normally be considered the uh, astm standard for uh, a compacted or a made um uh, part uh, their their basic spec is something like uh, it was in it was an ASTM B two one three and I think that it was like an inch and a half long, maybe an inch wide and a quarter inch deep, something like that. Like that was that was the standard bar that you could use okay. to do green strength test assessments. And yeah, like I expect most people are going to print like four 25 millimeter squares that go four to six millimeters deep. And they're going to be using small amounts of powder, trying to just, you know, do some proofs of concepts of, is this centerable? Is it not centerable? You know, like what I'm trying to do is just set up more of a, you know, a replication, a rapid application development platform, right? right. Like I'm trying to make it highly configurable, modular swap now people who buy into the alpha customer plan are going to get all kinds of access to bjetting llc and all of our designs for all kinds of different powders and spreaders and stuff like that so it's um yeah so this isn't i mean so it's a hundred thousand dollars right like the basic educator i'm open to our pricing we publish it on the on the website um it's a hundred thousand dollar platform uh, you get uh, two builds per day at 50 micron layer thickness, which, you know, again, it's not the world's fastest machine. It's not designed to be, um, but it's an all-in-one binder jetting system. And, and, and our first, this is actually Alpha 1 up here. Alpha 2 is down there. Um, Alpha 1 is a completely special system for vitriform. So like, you know, and this is just another example of how BGN works with his customers to try and find a place where you feel comfortable buying the platform. Like you'll see. Right. So like normally there would be a, uh, uh, a curing oven in here where you would put your, you know, so like binder jetting basically is a multi-step operation. You've got that whole printing step, which is itself a multi-step operation. Then you've got a curing step where you've got to like set the binder. These binders are typically wet, right? Like they're printed. So yep. it's all liquidy. You got to cook it out, dry it somewhat, cross link if you're doing some kind of reaction whatever that happens in a curing oven stock educator has one this particular customer is using a material system that doesn't require curing and you know they we were they didn't require the depowdering system like normally there would be a fully deautomated powdering system here in the left corner like there was enough to do but this customer didn't need that either they really wanted to focus on you know, investing money in their platform where they wanted to do materials development. So we came up with a package for them that maybe didn't have all the things that a stock educator for doing metal would do because they're not doing metal. Mm -hmm. uh, but we were able to come up with a configuration for them to do the material they did want to do. And I'm actually allowed to say it's Vitriform 3D. They're doing glass powders. They're a, a little startup on Knoxville, Tennessee. They're a graduate of uh, Oak Ridge's uh, Innovation Crossroads program. Nice. They were given a two hundred thousand um, dollar 
you know, whatever that's called a grant or a business startup or whatever. And they have two years to get to market. And, you know, we didn't want to eat up a whole bunch of their budgets. So we worked with them a lot to try and, you know, pare this machine down and make it something that they felt comfortable, you know, purchasing that we felt comfortable selling. And they became the alpha one customers. So, uh, Kudos to them. I'm really happy that they chose us. It was, you know, there's there are choices out there too. I gotta say, you know, like I'm a, I always tell people, Grant, that I'm here for the binder jetting, right? Like, I mean, I put over 20 years of my life on this. And whether my machine goes anywhere, hey, great. If I become a billionaire selling hundred thousand dollar platforms, if I don't, I don't. Uh, but I really do want to see the binder jetting be successful. I mean, like, I think it's great technology. I love the technology. If, if all I get to do is sell four or 10 of these, and then I go back to just consulting again, that's fine. I'd love it for it to be more, but Hey, what I really want to see is binder jetting succeed. And so I, I watch all these, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of people in the news lately, this past forum next, you saw the debut of the center jet machine coming out of Turkey there. We don't know much about the details yet, but we've heard and seen several press releases now from Foxconn and Tritative, uh, Tritative being a Spanish company, Foxconn, of course, being Foxconn. Yeah. Um, and, and their announcements that they're working together to develop binder jetting platforms. We know HP is here. GE finally gave us the specs on the H3. We've all known with desktop metal and X1 have been building for a long time. Um, digital metal now with Mark Forge. I think digital metal makes an excellent machine. It's a beautiful machine if you've never seen one up close and personal. Um, I never have, so. but I'm aware of it. I the only metals that I mess around with often are LPBF. I, I have very mm -hmm. little experience in binder jetting metals. And sure. theoretically, you could run multiple different types of metal in a build, but then you would risk obviously mixing your powder. So if you did want to play in alloys, are you able to just at a certain point change it out for a different metal? Is that possible? So I'll just say it's possible, of course, you know, like, right. So like, mm -hmm. so I'll just like say, so like, let's say they have, let's say I see, this is real grant. It's not just, <laughs> it's not just CGI. So let's say I have my powder dispenser here and I'm, uh -huh. um, you know, so like my system is based all on cartridges and various types of recoders that you can use, but the idea about making it clean or swappable. Okay. Well, so I have this recoder and I've got my powder in there and okay. It's layer 227. I'm going to change. Well, I just pull that one off and then I pull the one out of my desk here. And this one has my special fairy dust powder in it. And so now we'll put the fairy dust in there for the next 50 layers or whatever. You know, so yeah, it's it's certainly possible. You do wind up with then, as you might imagine, when you go to de-powder that. Your recovery powder is completely mixed. Yeah, you would have to have a, a way to, like, now, if it happened to be too really easy to separate materials, like if you happen to need iron and aluminum, that'd be great. Yep, uh, big-ass <laughs> magnet. <laughs> that's right. So, you know, I suppose there are solutions that make sense. But, hey, listen, I'll say this, too. That's, uh, oh, geez. That's kind of what the platform's for, though, right? It well, enables people for. to yeah. test and and learn because 60 cubic millimeters is not a ton of material. And to be clear, this is like sub 20 micron powder yeah, of typically. metal. Okay. Yes, that's right. It, so yeah, there is a cost to it. Sure. But like the cost, last I checked for TI-64 titanium for LPBF was like $10 a pound. 
it's not it's, expensive. It's not as bad as it used to be. No. Uh, now, titanium, I would think, might be a little more than that. But, you know, I know that certainly, like, a lot of the mem- great. Hey, listen, here's the thing. This is why Binder Jetting always tried to use mem powder. Mem powder is a commodity, okay? Like, there are gazillions of tons of mem powder used all around the world every day. Laser powder bed fusion powder is actually a special cut, right? Like it's got a much narrower range of acceptability. You know, it's usually more like a 10 to 40 kind of a thing, maybe an 835 or a 5 to 32. But like, you know, it's a it's a less commercially common cut right. of powder than MIM is. And so binder jet, that's that that is. So like what you're imagining about the prices of laser powder. So now like take 25% off of those again, because they're just so much more common. And there's such a great, wonderfully competitive landscape. And, you know, so like you'll see a company like HP partner kind of exclusively with GKN, right? And they're really kind of honing their system in. But GKN sells metal powders to other people. And there's lots of other metal powder producers besides GKN. Right. So, um, and, you know, and I'm a big believer that one of the things that's really helped the industry along actually is that competitive marketplace for powder. I have I have friends in the industry. I have people I respect. I'm going to name drop my really good friend, Ben Farrar from Carpenter Powder Metal, who is one of the earliest people to kind of start working with B-Jetting LLC and, and developing our metals capabilities and metals testing capabilities. He and uh, Philip from Granutools, um, were, 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 were some of the earliest uh, earliest reach outs to, to, to really help us develop the metals that, that, that we're going to be launching with. Um, but that said, and ben, ben would understand this too, he would understand that, it, that, that as much as I like him, I do have to be agnostic. You know, some of these, some of these powdered metallurgy companies that you see having successes with binder jetting now. So, I mean, the Azos of the world, the Freeform 3D here in St. Mary's, so some of these bigger players that you've heard of uh, that are not X1 and desktop metal, like their actual customers that are successful. Um, mm-hmm. Almost all of them, if not all of them, have a pretty deep, rich history of, right. you know, like that they they view this not not as a displacement technology. They view this as a uh, as an enabler of new markets for them. They view it not just prototype, but they really do view it as true bridge type production. You know, like those those people are out there right now. Those people that have that deep metallurgical experience, they right now are already being successful. And um, you know what we're hoping with a, with a simpler, smaller platform like this is that we can help you know smaller players be successful, find a way to be successful, find a way to get started. But by the same token, Grant, at the at the end of the day, this is a complete binder jetting platform. So like, who knows? Maybe I'll sell one to GE because they don't want to tie up an H three. Yeah, yeah, right. They don't want to tie up an H three to go research some powder, and maybe they never made something super small. Who knows? Even further, they may not need a big build volume. Like th- this is something that that doesn't it doesn't really work on the FDM side because like you just don't print where you yeah, don't. Print. Right. But if you've got a huge build volume for a powder printer, you must fill that entire build volume 
with powder. Exactly. You can't get away exactly. with just the amount of powder that you need for your build. So when you start looking at things like expensive in Canel 718, stupid expensive, or you look at maybe some form of a gold or a precious metal, you want the smallest build volume you can possibly get. So if you're not going to use it, why pay for it? That's right. And the bigger your platform is, the frankly, the dirtier it gets, right? Like the, you, every, every, every nook and cranny you add to your machine is another nook and cranny that's going to fill Dude. up with powder. Okay. So, so I, I used to run five of these CJP sandstone yeah, yeah. printers and I was working for somebody else who would not let me wear a respirator. <laughs> you can see where this is going. Yeah. I went to a I went to the doctor for a routine check. I was coughing a lot. He's he asked me, "Have you ever smoked?" I said, "No, never smoked a cigarette, let alone anything else in my life." He's like, "Why are you lying to me?" I said, "I I'm I'm not lying to you." He said, "Well, this chest X-ray says otherwise. It looks like you've been smoking for longer than you've been alive. What's going on?" I said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, um." That's probably gypsum powder. He said, yeah. Grant, you're going to have to keep talking to me about this. I don't understand. I said, I work in a powder environment and I'm likely breathing in the powder. He said, you need to stop whatever you're doing and stop very quickly. And it was within two weeks that I had said, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. And uh, then we started, you know, when, when I then started 3D Musketeers, we took every ounce of safety, right, in its own room. Room was under negative pressure. Um, you know, you had to wear a respirator when you went in there. So metals, though, totally different animal, right? Well, it is. It is. It is different. So, it, it, and again, it's going to depend upon you know which, which size you're working with. So, like, if you think about the infiltration metals, right? Like the ones that are a little bit too big to be centered. So we infiltrate. So, so you infiltrate with bronze. You know, the nice thing about those is they really drop out of the air. You know, like they don't float. They're not like that that gypsum powder where yeah, if you had a spill and it just starts pluming out and stuff like uh -huh. that. So, so, so a lot of the metal powders that are in common use, you know, they they drop pretty easy. Yeah, they're dense, but now, you still now don't want to breathe it. <laughs> but you still don't want to breathe it. There's still there's still nickel in there, right? There's mm -hmm. still all those other bad things. Um, some of these finer mem powders, uh, you're exactly right. You definitely do not want to breathe. I mean, like there's a reason why these people that you see in the big production suits, they aren't just wearing respirators. They're wearing active purge bunny suits, right? Pappers like, and that kind of right. They've got yeah. pappers and all that stuff going on. So, you know, there's a reason for that, uh, certainly. And, you know, I, I'll just go ahead and plug the educator here. That's one of the do things it. that I've been very, um, very conscious of and so like around all the build boxes and everything there's there is like active powder collection there's vacuums that are all strategically placed behind the machine to keep pulling uh to keep pulling the dust out of the air from in the chamber and and collecting it somewhere so that you one so that you can reuse it easier but also because you know hey in addition to health and 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 and, and the health reasons should be enough but this is a capitalism. So it's also if I let that powder float around inside my machine, waste money. It, it's going to waste money. It's going to wear the bearings out faster. It's going to yeah. wear the motors out faster. I'm going to lose print nozzles, you know, like, and like keeping it clean is critical. Like 
gypsum powder just kind of got stuck to the edge of a bearing wiper and that was it. If some got into the bearing, no big deal. But, you know, steel powder getting into a ball bearing, probably right. not good for its health. Hey, and not just that. The thing of it is, uh, Grant... Okay, so like let's just you know, let's just keep freeforming some great things about binder jetting here. So one thing about binder jetting that's great is that centering is fundamentally completely different than right. welding. It yep. you know, like like selective laser melting or laser powder red fusion, that's that you've got to be using a weldable material. And you know, one of the most popular ones, uh, Grant, that you're gonna that that you've seen, you know, different press releases in. Are, are materials like silicon carbide. Yep. So now we're not even talking, you know, a steel powder. Now we're talking about the hardest, most abrasive man-made material in sharp form being loaded into your highly precision binder jetting machine. And I mean, you know, that kind of a powder can, you know, kill up your bearings and weight. So, you know, um, these are all things that you really have to take seriously when you're when you're designing a binder jetting. But well, I suppose any powder handling platform, it's true. Uh, but yeah, I mean it's 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 particularly so in binder jetting. And again, because your work item that is your printhead, right? Like your tool, um, that's got to be as you know from from Z-Core, That's got to be right above that powder bed when it prints. You know, like you don't. It's not like a laser where you've got some focusing lens a meter above the bed and blah 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 right it's you've got that thing right on yeah, top of the powder you know yeah it's like millimeter millimeter or two right because right. the further away you are the less accuracy you get exactly so you want to be close can you tell us how far away the nozzles are for the educator? sure so so on the educator i'm designed at 0.8 millimeters Woo! now i may have to come up a little bit from that because that's going to be but i have some other technologies that help that work but um yeah i mean like i'm a big believer that you get as close as you can and and the thing of it is it's because you know, you get all these like in digital printing, you get these crazy things like stringers and satellites. And, you know, one of the crazy things about droplets is that, you know, if the drop gets too small, it has like a negative, uh, it has a negative terminal velocity, right? Like that's why you see this just float away rather than fall to earth, right? Because that's what happens. And so, you know, you want to be all the way up against that powder bed as much as you can so that you just don't have space for those bad things to happen and it's really hard to stay that close and again that's why i kept it small and you know like compact like this is because it's very easy for me to create a device that can travel at plus or five microns across 60 millimeters of surface that's easy Green. trying to get something go plus or minus 15 microns across a meter of surfaces you know, a struggle and a half. So, so that's another reason why I kind of kept this small so that I could make, I, in, in terms of how precise I have to make it, since it's only operating over this big of a volume, I can really get some good precision because it's, I only have to be this precise over this size. Interesting. So when looking at the, droplet size turbulence must be a problem mad cat is asking Ooh, sure. about this. how do you avoid that turbulence during again again so like it's being close to the powder so if you think about a, okay no room just, no turbulence. let me just whip this out uh, so if you think about uh, a head 
Let's just pull those. So if you think this is like a module carrier, okay, so like inside that slot, you would have some type of industrial printhead, right? Okay. So if you think about what's happening here, essentially, this guy, as it's coming across the powder, we try to keep it super close. And so what you're trying to do is push that turbulence ahead of you, right? So like you have this wall hanging down that's well above you, that's well in front of the jets. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to push that wall ahead so that so that it can't interfere and and like i say this gap is tiny right? like it's a piece of paper thick kind of tiny yeah. 80 so, microns is human hair basically. Uh, eight, eight, 800 800 point eight point eight oh million. point eight sorry point eight yeah so so it's very small but still small i gotta say mad cat has like, the same question i have that's that part's 3d printed that copper part is fdm of course it? it is okay of course it, it is. looks like it looks like a lot of that's fdm printed are those end use of course it is FDM of course they are of course they are now these were prototypes okay, oh, okay. so like nothing on the machines actually made of this this was like for me to get through but yeah no like if you uh, you can't really see much on on, on you're like me you like the there. crazy colors okay <laughs> well actually the thing of it is like some of it's just i just want to see i mean we 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 did uh um uh, Okay, I'll get to the colors later, but uh, you know um, the thing is, Grant. I think that this platform is the perfect use case for additive manufacturing. I don't make millions of these, but I need free-form complex shapes. So, like you know, if you're trying to connect this powder overflow vacuum system to some vacuum deep down in your machine. And you've also got some kind of separator there to mm -hmm. separate the air from the powder. You know, like being able to just like design those things and then print them, I have them. And then if they don't work, I redesign something else and print it again. But what I do for the production machines is I do everything out of that. You actually rent, recommended it to me, that EDX stat. Uh, uh, oh really? It, it, that's working out what well. What do you then. call it? The what do you call it? Yeah, the, the static control, the, the electrostatic, the ESD yeah. filament from 3DX Tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So nice. I'm getting so so I do everything in that uh, in the production because I don't want Expensive. there to be a static issue. I, not really. I mean, I mean, compared to PLA, well, okay, compared the to the thing. silk PLA you're using, okay. there it is. So let me let me say this. Let me say this. So okay, I'm I'm, I'm going to go ahead and drop another name here because I'm I'm that kind of guy. Uh, but you know, I buy almost. I buy probably all. I, I can't say almost. At, at this point, I buy all of my filament from Matter Hackers, right? So okay. I'm not out there looking for the lowest price. Generally, they take really good care of me from a customer yeah. care standpoint. Mara's and awesome. Mara is like fantastic. She's mm -hmm. like one of my top three favorite, maybe top. She's way up there in my tops of the world, uh, and so I trust her. Right. Yeah. So, and I know you should never pick favorites and never say, and I, and I don't pick favorites. I'm, but you know, like I honestly, I just don't like know anybody from dynamism anymore. I don't know anybody from some of the other distributors, but I know her and I know her people and, 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 and I trust her. And so I trust her people. And it's not that anybody else out there isn't trustworthy or isn't every bit as great as me. No, but that relationship already know. exists. But that relationship exists. And so it's, 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 it's nice and it's comfortable and it's, you know, and I feel good about every transaction. And so, 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 and, and especially right now where I am as a company still really coming out of the gates. I mean, I'm only doing these four alphas this year and I have very modest growth plans and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's like, that's the kind of company I'd rather have rather than, you know, some nameless, faceless Amazon distribution. Well, 3DX Tech or, used to be 
you know, a guy named Matt ran it and they were bought. Hmm. So they, they were bought out a while back. So I don't know if Matt is still running it, uh, but, you know, it's different. Now, they have their HT2 printer that they're working on, but mm. um, I've, I, I, there's, like I told you, we use them for all of our exotics, and it runs incredibly well. Um, yeah, we I've been very it, active with it. But, so, but, but so, but, to answer, so, so to continue on with some of that discussion, though, yeah, people who buy my Alpha, it's better than that, uh, Grant. People who buy the Alpha... They get all these design files. You know, like one of the key things here is I want it to be, I mean, I want it to be a research platform that doesn't cost you a million dollars to run, right? So, you know, and I wanted to make it easy. You know, one of the big complaints people have that want to develop powders is how hard an industrial binder jetting machine is just to clean. Like well, if you have suck. three. Oh, it, it's it's an eight to sixteen hour day in metals. It can be a couple of days if you're dealing with those super big sand machines. You know, it, it's very difficult. And so, what I tried to do here, again, keeping it small, keeping it somewhat simple, uh, and keeping it like publicly accessible. If you got a little, if you, I mean, you can make a lot of these parts on an ender. I don't necessarily recommend it, but you can. Um, you know, don't clean it. Set that in a drawer, put it in a bag, print yourself a whole new set of stuff for what you want to research today. It's a couple of bolts to put the new thing in. And then when you're done there, take it all out again. I mean, like, you know, the total cost of the filaments in, in the whole machine is probably less than 50 bucks if you used a regular off-the-shelf cheap. Uh, but, but I mean, of course, obviously, use the 3DX stat. Yeah, yeah anti-static is a big Anti-static, you do pay for. Yeah, And, and if you want, like, a... Uh, it's definitely worth it if you want like a cf uh carbon fiber conductor that's going to be even more but you know but that's the idea here is that like i'm going to share these things with my alpha customers you know like it's not just going to be me from up on high this is i i, I everybody that i'm talking to that's that's you know thinking about joining and i say joining like it's some kind of club i guess it is maybe but it's like people who want to come along on this yeah, alpha journey it's a journey, and this is, and I always say, this is Alpha One behind me. This is Alpha Two on the floor. I'm looking for homes for two, three, and four, and I'm going to build five, so I have one. And and it's going to be like a six to nine month learning uh, about the platform, designing things for the platform, extending the platforms, working with my customers, figuring out: Do you like this feature? Do you not like that feature? What needs, you know? And it's going to be a, a it's going to be a time for all of us to, you know, like really wrangle this out. I have plans. I want to you know, like maybe have a beta by AMUG next year, you know, we did our alpha this year, maybe I can have a beta done in one year, maybe, you know, and like maybe 2025, we're talking about getting into 100, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, you know, I'm trying to do like a really uh, staged gate approach to this, because I really want the machine to be a great machine that people like and use. And so, you know, I'm like kind of only allowing us to sell four this year, because the people that sell this, I want to have, you know, like a really deep relationship with you know like i really want this all to be successful and i don't yeah. want to have it's 12 people i want to have like three four enough so that we can really get it launched keep us going for the rest of the year and you know all that kind of stuff um and uh yeah and just at the end of that you know we're going to have this alpha that we've all been working towards making into a beta and it's going to be great and um 
Yeah, and it's just going to be something that I evolve slowly here over the next couple of years to really turn into really, you know, I mean, hey, like everybody, I want to sell and make the best in my class uh, device, right? Your QA and QC don't suffer by right. growing slowly. It, we have talked about this so many times. No, I want to make sure I don't suffer by growing fast. Right. I don't want to grow too fast. Dude, it, it'll it'll kill you. Right. Yeah. You you need to grow at a rate that is reasonable, sustainable and realistic, because right. if you don't, you're going to outgrow your own capacity and then get pissed off clients because they can't right. do anything. Exactly. And that's why we're only taking on so many. And, um, you know, and we're and James and I are self-funded. Right. So, you know, I run a consulting, as I said, in addition to this for other people. And it's really about reinvestment. You know, it's about taking what we earn we, we, and, and reinvesting into the company and really developing this product. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit of a scary ride, but it's really cool, too. That's the fun about small business, right? So what really pushed you to get into this? I mean, obviously, your background is metal binder jetting, but what right. pushed you to say there's a hole that needs to be filled here? Uh, you know, like I say, it, it's just, it kept coming up over and over in conversation, Grant. It's like, you know, I was approached by several different companies that were interested in making, that are interested in and are making their own machines. And, you know, and they would have something that they cobbled together from. So I'll say that out in the 2D printing industry, you can find relatively simple off the shelf. Well, not simple, but you can find off the shelf like printhead evaluation systems from people. OK, like different printhead manufacturers like Fuji makes one. Uh, there's a company in Israel that makes one. They're called Pixtro, but it's just it's a 2D printing test stand. OK. And what you will see out there are some people have bought these and then tried to put their own little Z-axis in it to try and get this two-dimensional press. And I kept running into those with my customers where this is what they had done. They had taken one of these 2D test stands, tried to put a box underneath it, or trying to do something, some good research or whatever, doing the best they could with what they were able to find and source. And... Uh, you know, it just kept reinforcing for us that, you know, there's a market. And, and and the thing of it is, Grant, I don't want to say that, like, I've isolated the market, right? Like, you know, when you look at the binder jetting industrial uh, landscape, you've got 25 and 160 liters from X1. You've got a little under one and 50 liters from desktop metal. You've got I think it's 33 or so liters from HP. You've got 125 liters from GE's H3. And I can't remember the size of uh, the digital metal. It's not nearly as big as those ones, but it's it's a good 160 by 160 or so, and maybe a little bigger. So 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 your only your only jumping off point is into something you know significantly larger. And um, so I said, well. You know, like that space is all covered. Why would I go make a 70 liter machine? Like, what am I adding? Even if I made a 15 liter machine, like what you am wanted I wanted something sub one liter. Yeah, I wanted something sub one liter. I said, well, do you know what? Like the, not the problem, but one of the realities with those large uh, binder jetting machines right now is that they're not widely suitable for everyone, right? Like, sure. 
Ford can buy 10 $2.2 million P50s, but there's only one Ford in this world. There's only one Stellantis. There's only one Boeing. There's only one cat, you know? So it's like, Unless you're going to make your and, money and, on and, the ink market, right? Or a right. razor blade idea. Well, and they have solutions. Like I say, so you've got desktop metal, you've got X1, you've got all these other big production players who that's what they really want to do. Like those guys really want to make these big production binder jetting systems for making millions of parts. And I think it's great. I mean, like, I love it. It's great. I don't want to do that though. You know, like I want to make a little machine. I, like right now, literally, you know, like I build each one by hand They're, You know, I make them with, I pack the love inside, you know, right? Uh, it's it, it, it gives me opportunities to work really deeply with some of these initial customers, which is something I've always liked as part of my job. So, uh, you know, this is just really putting me in a great space right now, both, both you know, from a business standpoint, because I think, you know, we can, we can, we can sell these and, and, and we're going to make it for a little while here. And uh, it also just puts me in just like a great headspace, right? Like where I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. I love that I'm getting to pursue my dream for a machine you know, rather than somebody else's dream for a machine. And uh, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just everything about it's great in the market reports that you read from groups like am power or or or, or like barnes global or these people that, that analyze these things they all say the same thing you know like it's been a year of binder jetting for like three years now right so uh and it's got really great growth opportunities and i you know i i saw uh rick Phillip at uh amug last week and i said hey rick i tell you man i'm gonna sell more p50s than you will i promise like i'm gonna, I'm gonna you know like i'm gonna make sure that everybody gets like this great start and they're gonna come seeking out oh oh yeah you know wait wait this is binder jetting oh you're right those production systems are worth it so you know and i'm a i'm a plain dealer right like i mean i i love everybody's machines i i love my machine i love their machines we're all here you know like we're looking for we different like cool things stuff. we like cool we like binders. We like yeah, and and three D in general is so cool. So. I just love that you're using FDM in your, in your oh, binder. I have you, to ask, what machines are you using to make those parts? So my parts right now that I make here mm -hmm. are made on garbage. Uh, I <laughs> tell me you're running Enders. I have an Ender three and an Ender seven. Uh, I have an Anycubic Chiron. I have an artillery, uh, yeah, the big one. Yeah, it's 16 uh, square, I think. It is, yeah. Uh, and I don't like it. Um, <laughs> Nobody does. The, uh, I have that artillery Sidewinder X2. Uh-huh. And uh, then I have this one from Chitty Tech that's that I don't use. It was real small. It was my first one. I wanted to see what FDM was all about. It's like one of those six-inch kind of boxes. Oh, I like you're not using something like a Stratasys, you know, F370 or something. No, I'm not. But I'll say this. Uh, I will say this, Grant. Whenever I do make true production parts right now, because I don't have one of those machines, mm -hmm. I'll just go ahead and drop another name. And, and I want to say to all your listeners – there is not a soul who sponsors me. I only talk about people that I like and that I have. Not a soul that sponsors with. us yet. What's that? <laughs> not a soul that sponsors us yet. Right. So, so uh, you know, I actually get my commercial printing done usually by Exometry because they do run those $150,000 Stratasys machines. And I'll say their parts are much better than mine. 
give me a I would hope. Give me a holler next time you want to see. I do. You know, Grant, the thing is, I forgot that you do it commercially too. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to try to see where I land up against a quarter million dollar Fortis 250 or something. Sure, sure. Um, No, I do. I I do want to have you do some punch for me. And it's and uh, just show you how how they're simple, but but no, I do. I, I you know the thing of it is, it's like uh, again, okay. So let me just like back up even more, you know. So like as you as you know or maybe not know, you know, like I am more of a like a truly like a general purpose all around uh, engineer. I'm actually a physicist by training. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm actually an engineer by training, and so I have a lot of jack in the box. Kind of, or I mean, jack of all trades kind of skills, but I'm not really good at any of them all that well. So like I can design, I designed all that, but yeah. I had uh, a helper, uh, Olivia Kruger, formerly of Okay. Right. So she helped me at a really critical time, helped me figure out some about the transmission. And, um, but other than that, I mean, like I'd, I've designed everything there, but I haven't produced a single drawing because I suck at drawings. I don't even know how to do drawings. I know it's a whole science called GD and T and people are excellent at it. And I am not, but so I use groups like exometry because I don't have to provide drawings. I can send them my model file. They know what I want and they just send it to me. And so, okay. It has some kind of general tolerancing of this, that, and the other thing that is probably some subject that I don't understand. But luckily, there are things I do understand. And I'm master machine assembler and builder as well as right. designer. So I know how to take this pile of parts. I know how to hide a half a millimeter there. I know how to put an extra millimeter here. I know how to like tune the things and line to stones. And, you know, like I know what I'm doing from a machine setup standpoint that I can take a fair amount of, of, of you know, whatever imprecision and hide it, still make it all work, lock it all down, get it all right. And, you know, that's just one of my many skills that I've been able to develop over the last 25 years in industry is that I, I know how to assemble the machine in such a way that I don't have to make the G and D the most critical part of it. I just have to know what I'm doing when I put it together. And again, that's why I've limited it to four for this year, because it is like, there is a certain element to this that it all works and is all right. really great because it's my hands turning bolts. And that's something that, you know, will change. Obviously I can't assemble every single machine as the company grows, but like right now being able to do that, where I just have to say, Hey, this is what the plate has to look like. And these are where the holes are. And it comes in close enough. I know how to get it from close enough to perfect and nobody will see a thing, right? Like it's, it's, it won't matter at all. It's low imperfection. So uh, obviously that's not sustainable forever, but no. as, as we get out of this initial growth phase, get these first few, it's going to serve us well because we'll get where we need to be by the time we're really getting into, you know, the that's what matters. Just kind of getting to where you need to be. Uh, I, I like that, you know, one of our resident trolls who's actually giving us real good stuff today, uh, worse, Peter, great guy. He's in our, he's in our, uh, discord Patreon member and all that says, I'm not that good at the stuff I do builds metal binder jetting printer. So yeah, give yourself a little <laughs> bit of credit there, but, um, you know, it, price point, right? A lot of people here sure. are like a hundred thousand dollars. I don't have a hundred thousand dollars spent. I, know, I, I, I don't have a hundred grand to spend either. Me either. But I, let's look at competitors. Right. What are competitors pricing at <laughs> sure. in this market? 
Sure. So I tell you what, I tell you the toughest competitor. We'll start with Centerjet out of Turkey. Okay. They make a fine machine, 160 millimeters long, 60 millimeters wide, 60 millimeters deep. So essentially about two and a half my volumes, right? Yep. More or less somewhere in there, almost three, um, 65,000 euro. Uh, it's a really capable machine. It's uh, now mine, as you might see, it's like what we would call an overhead recoder. That is that it has like some amount of powder in it instead of like the old z where it had Dumps that box. That would lift up. Oh, yeah, that's right. They had dump and spread, too. Yep. That's uh, how, that's but how I was thinking more like, OK, so it maybe never saw some of the really small ones like the 200s and the 300s. I had a 305. I think they were called 305 for a bit. Or a 310. Had, it came up. It had two pistons, it. right? Yeah, it had two yeah. pistons. So, so that's what the center jet machine has. It's a two piston system rather so than an overhead recoder system. Way more powder. Well, you need more powder. I mean, obviously, it's a bigger build volume. So, yeah, but yes, you need more powder. You're going to be a li little bit more, excuse me, limited. Like MIM powders do not do great spreading box to box. Not like then. And it's weird because gypsum really does. And, yeah. you know, I remember my 310 spreading a layer of gypsum. And it was like, you know, like you're waiting forever for the printhead to do its thing. And then yep. <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, we tried to break that formula and we never could. It's a specific granular size and it's yeah. not pure gypsum. There was something no, there's else some in it. It's like an it. anti-caking yeah. agent that there's we could never figure out. Yeah, well, I I happen to know that formula exactly these days, but that's a different talk. Well, uh, talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never, I would never, uh, you know, like there's some there's some secrets that I got exposed to uh, oh, in the course boo, of my work yes. that are really no, hey, and listen, I got to keep on 3D systems good graces. You know, maybe they buy me something. You know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I but, would love um, to be in 3D systems good graces, but I'm fairly certain I'm not. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, good machines. It's just. I came in from someone like I started 3D Musketeers, someone that has enjoyed the non-walled garden consumer industry. And then looking into the industrial industry that's fully walled garden, really the thing that upset me the most was service, right? Looking at this, you know, a Z Corp 650, ProJet 660 Pro are gonna run you close to a hundred grand by the time that's you right. That's 86 right. grand delivered uh with material. If you wanted an external depowdering station, that was another five or 10 grand. If you didn't buy them used or whatever. Um, yeah, so call it a hundred grand all in. Yeah. Well, then it was 9K a year for the service contract. Mm -hmm. And they had a three week response time. So we would be sitting, twiddling our thumbs, watching us just burn money for three yeah. weeks until the machine could get serviced service contracts are a big deal are you doing something similar with bee jetting well i imagine you know so i mean as you could imagine grant i'm not a very complicated company right now so when it comes to like these first four alphas you know what i've told customers is you're 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 buying like practically unlimited access to jetting llc's cons consulting technologies for the next nine months so it's like you know you're going to be the most you know cared for custom like you're the first four people that buy these alphas they're the most important customers i'm going to have my whole life probably right so uh you know it's 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 going to be like that in the office i imagine you know when we're past beta and we're doing serial production machines let's say a few years from now i reckon grant i'll look like a whole different company 
You know, I mean, like I reckon I'll have 15, 20 people, I'll have a couple field people, I'll have some sales people, some marketing people. I'll probably have to have an HR person. Probably have, you know, I mean, I, my, my hopes are to be. Yeah, right. I mean, like right now, well, so like James and I are like, so I'm, I'm all of our technology and uh, procurement. So like I'm responsible, of course, for all the engineering design, uh, finding suppliers for the parts, getting the parts on order, all that stuff. James is responsible for everything, marketing, sales, paying the bills on time, getting contracts executed, you know, like um finding new places for us to go james is like a 35 year vet in the 2d printing worlds i mean so <clears throat> he's from fuji I, let me just tell you a little bit about james uh, james gill he's uh from fuji i mean but he wasn't just from fuji he's from a whole bunch of like viewtech and other big 2d format guys but he was the way i met him he was my uh i met him as he was the field uh, sales rep for fujifilm dynamics Mm -hmm. uh, I started using Spectre Printhead somewhere in the 2005-2006 uh, time frame. That's when we first met. And, you know, he was just a great guy. I worked together a long time. He was also then, as part of his work for Fuji, he was in charge of their 3D printing division as it became clear that they were becoming the market leader because, you know, uh, Desktop Metal will openly tell you that they use Samba, which is a Dymatics technology or Fuji Dymatics technology. Uh, I think GE will openly tell you about their use of Fuji. HP obviously is using their own printheads. But, um, you know, there's a whole, but, but I think that like all these other companies, material jetting and binder jetting would tell you whose modules. And that's not to say that Rico modules aren't great, SAR modules aren't great, Kyocera modules aren't great. They're they're all great. And it could just be that Fuji was there with their foot in the door first, trying to get into this market rather yep. than just like taking it for granted or saying, I'm a 2D printing company. I'm I'm not gonna, what do I care about you 3D binder jetting people? Because that certainly was a lot of the response I got in 2001, I'll tell you that. What it's you know, so Fuji was really kind of, yeah, so Fuji was kind of the first to recognize, well, uh, you know, maybe we should service this market in particular. And they were successful. So, um, so he comes like kind of from that background. And and, and what, what that really brings to the table for B-Jetting is, you know, James has like a super deep, rich history and knowledge about products and services that are in that 2d print space that are really applicable to what we're doing right you know pumps a pump fluid monitoring fluid monitoring formulation chemistry these are all things they're all the same and you know what james brings to the table now is not just my 20 years experience doing this with binder jetting but his 35 years experience of doing all kinds of industrial printing and industrial jetting inkjet jetting uh applications so you know we have we have a, a really broad portfolio of companies that we work with that because hey i get stuck too right like i i know i know a lot but even i need help sometimes or maybe there's a specialty application that you know i don't want to have to make my own whiz bang for doing some kind of crazy thing to a waveform or whatever so you know being able to to tap on this network of uh, of suppliers and and then you know some of the new 3d people uh, are pretty awesome too some of these new software companies like dendrite and, uh, these guys that do voxel processing specifically and you know it's just really kind of the whole industry is kind of growing up and i don't know man it's really been 
great to ride along with it too it has sorry been. i'm just kind of scattering no. around in a thousand directions there Funny, this is like the you you've been you, you've been hanging out in the comments for enough of these episodes to know it is always scatterbrained <laughs> because it isn't always an exact answer there isn't always yeah. a perfect solution there isn't always you know one method of doing things but the future here is really the crazy one because yeah. there is a huge future right now isn't there oh i think so grant i mean i think that the reason that people talk about hydrogen so much is because everybody can see the potential you know, like there's there's obviously some economics that you got to work through. There's obviously some technology changes, technology challenges. But, you know, I, people are seeing it finally. I, the one thing I give desktop metal huge kudos for is they really elevated the entire industry of biogenic in terms of getting it to bubble up into the into the public psyche it's like you know after dm finally hit the scene people would come to our booth and they, no, no, desktop metal does like what we do <laughs> and uh but you know it was really them it was really their consistent marketing uh of all the benefits of binder jetting and their single pass jetting technology and all that stuff, you know, like that really just elevated binder jetting in people's minds. I mean, like X1, we just weren't getting it done. That, that how, whatever their mystical magic was that really got the, really got the word out, so to speak. Uh, they really did it. Like they, they did that yeoman's work of, of really bringing binder jet into the public psyche. Do you believe that, binder jetting is going to be a big future of you know what's going on out in the metals industry yeah i, I do and and i'll give you a couple of reasons why grant i think that you know one like i say because of the material flexibility right like hey digital castings is already probably 90 percent uh, these days in the United States, if you're pouring an aluminum casting and it has any kind of a core in it, there is a 90% chance that that core was printed on an X1 binder jetting machine, not manufactured the classical way of making sand masking, sand casting mold cores. So, you know, like it's already come in some way, right? Like, like metal binder, I mean, sand uh, binder jet for metal castings is real. You know, like, and it is real and it's big and it's awesome. Um, so metals, a couple of reasons why. So one, like I said, materials that you can do, that you can do the non-weldables, opens up a lot of things. You've got that option for infiltration that, that opens up different types of metals with some fairly unique properties. Um, and, uh, and you've got speed, you know, like two-dimensional printing of Especially, you know, like that single pass jetting, what desktop does, or, you know, you know, like it's, you're not going a vector at a time, right? You're not squeezing right. a little bit of material. You're not running a laser beam. It's a huge blanket of material at a time. So there's always going to be that speed advantage. Um, and, you know, one thing, and, and it's scalable, right? Like, obviously, I can make a machine. 60 millimeters big they can make a machine that's a meter and a half big right, right. like it's scalable it's and, and you can operate on almost any scale as long whatever you can afford that's the scale you can operate on 
And, and but where I think it's real future lies, Grant, and and and, and not many people agree with me on that. Almost well, pretty much nobody agrees with me on this. But this is what I kind of believe. So before you know, I came into additive. I used to be an automation guy. Like I used to design assembly lines. I used to make control systems for assembly lines. I used to do high speed assembly operations and automotive and trans and trains and all that stuff. So like that's what I used to do. And what I'll say is. When you go into like, a, like you'll see some kind of crazy new press release from Ford, right? And you'll see like in 2012, you'll see a press release, Ford's going to invest $100 billion into these three facilities to make the 2017 line of Ford F-150, right? Like they plan these big, massive upgrades out well in advance of releasing products, you know, like, and they'll go in and completely make all custom gear. And I think that, binder jetting of all of the additive techniques maybe not you know material restriction but binder jetting of these of these metal techniques um is the most that you could actually customize you know because like whenever i would work for a company that got a contract to like build you know uh uh say well one that comes to mind i did this thing out in aurora called a uh, company that made um airbag inflators okay. but they they had to come off the assembly line one every five seconds so and, and, and we were and, and it was another one of those cases dude we were like building the assembly line in 98 that was going to make that was going to start production in 2001 to make the airbag assemblies for the 2004 model of honda or something like that like, it was some crazy long you know program and um but binder jet in particular I think is adaptable to that kind of thinking where it's I'm I'm not going to go buy 10 160 pros or I'm not going to go buy five H3s. I'm going to bring a company in and I'm going to get like the exact type of binder jet configuration mm -hmm. that I need for exactly what I want to make. Because I think that binder jetting, while it's not easy, like it's it's a whole lot of uh like uh, the Martian, you know, it's just one engineering problem after another. And if you're willing to take the time to cut through those engineering problems, you know, you can get to really adaptable solutions. And I think that, you know, what what, what the future could be is that, you know, uh, Ford has some custom designed binder jetting assembly line where they have some custom machines integrated into one of their bigger lines somehow you know like that it's not necessarily going to have to be a finished product from a distinct oem right okay and, you know I, as we were talking prior like before we went live we were talking about you know that we have people that work in metals as you know people that watch and john sir saying they use a lot of mim in their products and they need high volumes, but prototyping with binder jetting could be useful if the tolerances are good enough. What type of tolerances are you hitting with the educator platform? Yeah, so it's, uh, well, I can't really speak to mine yet, right? Because I'm alpha and I'm just getting to the printing. I haven't even bought a furnace for myself yet, Grant. So like, that's one of the things that, that uh, my first customer, uh, like I say, they're, they're, they're doing glass, not metal. So uh, straight out of the gate, having that capability wasn't exactly you know top priority. Out of a typical binder jetting printer, though, you're going to see somewhere between 0.1 and 0.2 millimeters of accuracy absolute, in like in an absolute sense, because they're very good at 
like having a tiny little bit of extra bleed, but the bleed always works the same way. You literally just wind up with too much skin and it's usually about 0.1 to 0.2 millimeters, which becomes a heck of a lot less important once you go through the simmering process and you shrink by 21%, 20, 21%, you know, like a lot of those things, you everything shrinks too. So, you know, it's not, it's not, it, it is near net, um, but yeah, typically about 1%. Is 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 about the best you can do in a well tuned, uh, and 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 I say that that's let, let me clarify. You know, if you think about MIM, so I yeah, I heard somebody say they use MIM a lot. MIM will often talk about golf balls, right? Like they'll say right. golf balls ideal, or I like to make the analogy of like six uh, fifty cent pieces um, that like you know it's it, that's what it's that's where it that's where it excels. And um, in terms of like what kind of accuracy you can get, you can get all kinds of great accuracy for prototype testing. So like uh, there's a, there's a case study out there done by Min Technique that was an excellent customer where that's, they needed to like prototype some kind of newfangled T-slot nut for some kind of new type of aluminum extrusion. And before they went to full production, they needed to make about a thousand of these nuts to see how they would perform in the application. They were able to do that and then went to production. So, you know, it's that's that's that that's why so many of the production, all of the bioenergetic production metal company systems are comparing themselves to MIM and talking about MIM and how we're similar to MIM and it's just like MIM. Uh, it's because that's, they know that, and like I said, I think I said earlier, the, the most successful companies right now with binder jetting in production or pre-production are companies that have some sense and history of powdered metallurgy. Okay. So what then do you see being really the future of metal, right? A lot of companies are pushing towards that LPBF, SLM, DMLS, it, pick your poison for three or four letter acronyms for mm -hmm. laser-based metal printing. Do you believe that is going to be something that continues to progress at this, you know, really hockey stick level? Or do you think that, you know, with, a platform like the educator that metal binder jetting will become something that sees that kind of similar growth. Oh, I sure hope so. I'm counting that I'm at the base of the hockey stick still. And, you know, I'll say, I'll say this, I've been in it 20 years and, and, and I've been saying the same thing for 20 years, Grant. Uh, I feel like I'm sitting on a barrel of dynamite. Nobody can find me a match. Dude, uh, same you know? though. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, I'm like, everybody needs 3d printing like the right, vast majority right. of people Hi. need some form of 3d printing in their day-to-day -day life especially in their businesses but none of them know it exists and therefore they don't understand the value and while a hundred grand is pretty expensive not when you compare it to basically any other competitor on the market especially when you're going to get usa based expert level customer support it is a different world yeah it, it's it is, uh, it is. and yeah. uh for sure um but you know that said it's uh hey i guess i'll say it can it can get better right like you know hey who knows maybe somebody hey grant who knows maybe somebody will take this machine maybe not copy my design hopefully but you know uh one of the things that like i always 
I said, if I could get a sponsor, uh, I would make a series of videos where I tear apart my Echo Tank uh, piezo based all in one printer and turn it into a binder jetting machine. You know, like <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll run a series of classes teaching people how to go buy a $300 Epson ET and turn it into at least a color, a full color gypsum printer or That's something, pretty right? Cool. With the materials that it comes with, like figure out how to, what you have to mix into the powder, whatever, and turn like the paper handler into a powder handler somehow. And, you know, like, I mean, there'd be a way to do it. I could, you know, like give it a sponsor time. And money, I could figure that out. Uh, well, and I think that's one of Ender really fun 3 into a binder jet metal printer. Yeah. Well, I saw somebody saying that on some other platform. It's, um, you know, the real problem with an Ender in particular is that you need a, an extra couple of axes. You need at least one more rigidity. Axes. Well, I mean, there's a whole material well, quality. Yeah. Well, hey, but you know, I'll say. You know, I'm not disgusted by the quality I get from my Ender. Okay. Like now I don't expect a whole lot, you know, right. like I don't put it on a pedestal, but, but what I expect for $200, I get for $200. I think you were I saying something about that than not too long ago, but, but was it more in resin printing or something like that? You were like, oh, I'll just go buy another printer because in my first job, I'll pay for the printer. And if I throw it away, I still made money. Yep. So, you know, same um, deal for you. Right. So for, for me on those, yeah, that it's like, you know, and, and they're so useful. I'll tell you, Grant, I can't get over. So like the whole time I worked for X1, you know, I was 20 years there. We never had a single plastic printer, not one in the whole place. We didn't use X1 did not use at that time. I think they've changed now in the last couple of years, but at that time, they didn't have any rapid prototyping equipment. All we had, all they had were the big metal printers they made. That was it. You know, like there was no rapid prototyping. It's funny it how a company that goes makes through a, a complete design cycle doesn't do any rapid prototyping. Could totally overlook that. And it's, and you know, I think it's because too, back in the day, there were so few companies the market was even so much smaller between 2000 and 2007 than it is now. Uh, you viewed every other person in the additive space as your competition. Meanwhile, right. there was zero overlap between a Stratasys plastic extruder and an extrude hone metal binder jetter printer. There's no overlap in those markets, but you still treated those people like they were your competition right. because if, because back then we all viewed ourselves as nothing more than rapid prototypers. None of us were thinking about rapid production back then. So everybody was your enemy because they were either choosing the plastic rapid prototyper or the metal rapid prototyper because we weren't, nobody was like differentiate there weren't enough people to differentiate yourself against for one thing you know like desktop or i mean extrude hone or x1 in the early early days it's not like there was a number one competitor that we could point to and say you know z core is our number one competitor because right. they print chips and you know like there was no you weren't going to be an architectural firm looking for full color mock-ups of the buildings you were designing you weren't going to come to x1 for that no, you, know? you weren't so 
uh, there was just a there was just a reluctance, I think, to work with anybody back then, regardless of who they were. And that you know that the company X One was so old that it was baked in those days. But then finally, you know, I suppose once all the old timers were gone, the the newer people came in and said, "You guys have been stupid for twenty years." So <laughs> you know, then they finally changed and and and, uh, and do some stuff now, but. But yeah, man, I couldn't believe it. Whenever I bought my first 3D printers, you know, so like after I left, after I was let go by X1, might as well be honest about it. After I was let go by X1, I was like, all right, I'm going to go buy me some printers and see what see what this plastic world's all about. And it's it kind of like kicking myself. It's, I mean, it's amazing. And it's like, and people talk about all these weak, clunky plastic parts. And I'm like, dude, if you know how to set your settings, PLA is plenty strong for lots of things. Um, okay, right you might not want to leave it in the sun. I get that. But, you know, if you if you really take the time to learn the software, learn some design techniques, learn what the difference between a wall and an infill and a top and a bottom and a this and a that, and really learn how all those kind of work together, uh, you can make all kinds of great stuff. That's, you know, like you asked me, are these parts functional? Of course they are. They work. Why wouldn't they be functional? I printed them out. And, you know, like if I, if what I need is an air duct that just like sucks air from point A to point B and it needs to last a few months at a time, get wears out, whatever. DM okay, all day, whatever. Baby. Right. I was going to say, make another one. I, you know, like it's going to cost you eight bucks in material and like 10 hours of time. And, you know, do you really want to swap out like a $1,500 custom metal pounded whatever? Yeah, no, I don't. I'd rather just print one and be done. This is what I love about and, this industry. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was such an eye opener to have my first plastic printer. Without a doubt. I, it, this is awesome, Dan. We got to have you back when you're moving into the beta stage to see what you oh, definitely, the definitely. stage because product development is a really cool thing. And, you know, you're opting to, you know, obviously your customers know, but this is, it's an experiment at the end of the day. And this is, this is upfront, man. This is an alpha program. I you know, like this is, this is most people try to do their office secret, right? Like they make some machine and then they try to be, hey, you want it's really cool but anyway and um i only have one setting i wore my my, my partner james all the time you know james i only have one setting wide open so be careful but uh you know it's like yeah man this is um hmm. it's it's really it's it's gonna be interesting you know maybe even you know maybe when we get a little bit closer to like giving or halloween or somewhere in there i'll have some really great stuff to talk about well definitely, definitely. keep me in the loop on that where can everybody yeah. find more information about the educator platform and be right right of course so you can go straight to our website b-jetting.com uh that's b-jetting.com and you can find all you can find out all about me there's a whole bunch of you know like my backgrounds there and some other interviews i've done over the years some videos that I've made. If you do a search on YouTube, you can find some stuff from my X1 days and you can find, if you search for Bruno Murray, you can find a, if you really want like a good idea of all the types of binder jetting and how the outputs all fit together, I gave a talk. Uh, it's You can find it on YouTube. It was to TRX. It was called Reintroducing Binder Jetting. And it kind of goes through where the company was at that point, but it also goes through all the different types of binder jetting technology and what I call the output form.
forms of matter. You know, we talked about two today here, like infiltrated metal, fully dense metal. But, you know, there are also, you know, if you look at some of the product offerings from X1 and partnerships with uh, others that, you know, like you can take that sand, you know, we we didn't really even talk about sand cast printing today and sand printing, but, you know, that sand is really uh, some cool stuff because it's just yes. a porous material too. So you glue the sand together, you can infiltrate it with resins, you can turn it into really hard plastic pieces, you can polish it, metalize it, like do some really crazy prototypes and they're all made out of sand, which is really wild. Um, so, you know, there's uh, there's just so much, there's just so much you can do with binder jetting. And uh, I just, you know, like I say, whether you want to call it, you know, sitting on, you know, sitting on the TNT or, you know, for 20 years, we're still scratching the surface of the capabilities, you know, like we've got some things, we've got some of those scratches pretty deep, but, you know, it's scratching at the surface of what a lot of this can do. So I'm very excited to see uh, all the ways that binder jetting is going to change in the, in the years to come. I am as well, and we're going to definitely be keeping an eye on you. I, I want to do more of the professional end of 3D printing. I think, you know, B-Jetting and sure. what you're doing there really starts to bridge that gap between what is affordable for a small business and what enables them to start competing with people that do have million-dollar machines. So, yeah. uh, Dan, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Hey, thank you, Grant, so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I love to hang out and, and geek out. Uh, uh, stuff that I'm excited about and that I love and yeah I mean uh, anytime man I, I, like absolutely. I said this was great absolutely well you know man we will uh, we'll definitely have to have you on in the future but I greatly appreciate you coming out uh, we had a good group of You're people welcome. here hanging out that are all really interested in this tech so uh, okay, guys don't great. DDoS his server with all the people going to the <laughs> but seriously go check it out Dan's, uh, in, in, I linked in the description <laughs> the entire PDF on the educator so if you're looking to get more information oh, about you. the educator platform go take a look at it because there's way more that we can cover on a podcast alone so uh, again Dan thank yeah. you very much guys and you're welcome Grant thank you, you you've been to enough of these do you know my outro Oh man. <laughs> I no. always do. I always ask our guest our outro. Do you know the outro? No? All right. I probably never get to, I probably like the thing of it is so what I love about your podcast, you know, like it's what I'm, I usually am like listening and then I'll hear something and then I'll run over and have to put something in the chat. And then, I'll, you know, like some, I'm usually, it's like, it's better than radio, right? Like because it's, yeah, or it's like listening Facebook. to NPR, like your favorite news station on NPR or something. Yeah, well, I, I like to listen, and uh, yeah, no, so I'm, I'm really glad to come here. But no, what's the outro? Stay safe out there. Don't forget to call your loved ones. And as always, keep making awesome. With awesome tech, like B-Jetting Educator, this has been Season 3, Episode 28 with Dan Brunimer from B-Jetting. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.